Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew's Gospel. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 1 together this morning. Uh, you'll find our reading on page 807 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, the first gospel, the first of four gospels. And uh, we're going to read the first half of chapter 1 together this morning. Matthew chapter 1, you'll find it on page 807 of the Pew Bibles. We're reading verses 1 to 17. It's this long genealogy, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Uh, a list of names before us, but uh, as we come to it, we remember that this is God's word and that it's living and active and that there is something for us to take to heart this morning. So Matthew chapter 1, and we're reading verses 1 to 17, and this is God's word to us. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, and Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Elakim, and Elakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we're going to think about the genealogy that we read uh, just a few moments ago this morning. Uh, as you're turning that up, you'll find it on page uh, 807 of the Pew Bibles. And as you're turning it up, uh, let's pray for a moment together. Father, we know that Christmas time is a busy time when we have lots of things on, lots of people to see, 
lots of things to do, lots of presents to wrap. We pray that you would be with us this morning to help us block out those distractions. And we ask that you would give us a focus on who Jesus is, on his coming, on the Christmas story, and that you would help us understand what it means for us and what we should do in light of us. Be with us in these moments. Come by your Holy Spirit to challenge and convict us and also to encourage us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're, we're going to think about the Christmas story uh, together, or, or at least part of it. Uh, this morning we're going to look at this genealogy, the first half of Matthew chapter 1. Uh, tonight we're going to look at Isaiah 7 because it is the Old Testament context of Matthew 1. And then next Sunday morning, uh, 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 next Sunday evening at our candlelit carol service, we'll consider the second half of Matthew chapter 1. Uh, next Sunday morning will be a Christmas one-off uh, because Sunday school and Bible class will be involved in the service. But hopefully over the next few weeks, our minds will be drawn to the real focus and meaning of Christmas. This morning then we're thinking about the first half of Matthew 1. It's this long genealogy, and as we read it earlier, you might have thought, what, what on earth are we going to be thinking about this morning? Uh, you might also have thought, I'm glad that I didn't have to do that reading because there are some ba big names in it, and I'm not sure that I got all of them right. What, what, what we have in front of us this morning, though, is the family tree of Jesus. I'm sure that some of us here this morning have an interest in our family trees. I have to say that I have no particular interest in mine. In fact, I think I would struggle to go back any further than my grandparents on either side of my mum and dad's family. It's perhaps the case that as we get older, we become more interested in family trees. Uh, there is interest in genealogies and family histories within wider culture, of course. Uh, the television program, Who Do You Think You Are?, remains very popular, and lots of celebrities have attempted to trace their family line. Uh, Boris Johnson, the now former Prime Minister, went on the programme in 2008 and found out that his paternal grandmother was a descendant of a German prince who was a direct descendant of King George II. Uh, long story short, George II is Boris's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, so it's great times eight. In much simpler terms, that means he is related to King Charles, to the Swedish and Dutch royal families, and to the former Russian imperial dynasty as well. It's a bit distant, though. And when you hear it explained, when you hear all those greats, you sort of think, well, that doesn't really matter. It was a long time ago, and it's all very removed from us now. What, what, what attracts us to family histories and family trees are the interesting anecdotes about who family members were and what family members did in days gone by, but, but also that sense that we're part of a bigger story. That, that, that our stories stretch back hundreds of years to a time we never knew and to people we never met. That, that, that sense of being part of a story was very important to the Jewish people. And as he begins his gospel, Matthew is keen to engage his Jewish readers. And Matthew crafted his gospel through the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit. And his purpose is to show who Jesus is to his fellow Jews. Matthew came from a Jewish background. He's the, the tax collector who is so graciously saved by Jesus. But, but as he put his gospel together, he wanted his fellow Jews to be persuaded that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. But as well as that, Matthew also had an eye on Gentiles, people who weren't from a Jewish background. Throughout his gospel, he emphasizes that Jesus has come for everyone 
that he is the Messiah who is available to all nations. And that's actually very clearly illustrated for us in chapters one and two of, of his gospel. In chapter one, we have this, this long genealogy which traces Jesus' Jewish roots. But then in chapter two, we have the story of the wise men, some Gentiles, seeking Jesus and finding him. This morning, we meet as Gentiles, people who don't come from a Jewish background. And as we look at this genealogy, what we're going to see is that despite it seeming very distant and very removed from us, it takes us to the heart of Christmas and of who Jesus is. We're going to think about three simple things this morning. Matthew 1, 1 to 17 tells us that Jesus came from the right line, Jesus came at the right time, and Jesus came for the right design. That's where we're going this morning. And we're going to take each point in turn and consider this genealogy for a few moments. Let's start with that first point. Jesus came from the right line. What we're saying here is that Jesus is from the right bloodline. That's the point that Matthew makes in verse 1, right at the very beginning of his gospel. He writes this. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham. And Abraham and David are the two key names in this genealogy. If you miss them, you'll miss everything. Their names are mentioned several times at the beginning in verse 1 and then at the end of the genealogy in verse 17. Abraham and David are also mentioned individually in verse 2 and then in verse 6. Well, what's so important about these men? Well, it's the promises that both were given by God. God spoke to both of them and gave them each a specific promise. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, God said this to Abraham. He said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make a great nation of you and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through Abraham and his descendants, God promises to raise up a people, the nation of Israel, and they will be a blessing to the entire world, to the Gentiles. This is the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant. The apostle Paul called it in a broad sense, the gospel. And this gospel is developed by the Davidic covenant in the promise made to David, In 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, God makes this promise to David. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up from your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. David has promised that one of his descendants would establish a kingdom that will last forever. And throughout his gospel, Matthew brings these two promises together as he writes about who Jesus is. It's not the point of the genealogy, though. In the genealogy, Matthew is showing us that Jesus came from the right line. One person has put it in this way. They've said Jesus has the correct scriptural pedigree to be the Messiah. The the Messiah must be a Jew. Jesus is the son of Abraham. And the Messiah must also come from the tribe of Judah and from one specific member of that tribe. Jesus is the son of David. He came from the right line. Now, now all of that is historically very interesting, but, but where does it land for us? Well, what we need to remember is obvious. 
But we so often miss or ignore the obvious when it comes to Christmas. Later on in this chapter, an angel appears to Joseph and tells him what is happening to Mary. Joseph is told about his son who is to come and of how he is to be called Jesus. In verses 22 and 23, we're told, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. The man, Jesus, is God with us. And that's what we forget. That's what we miss. That's what we can ignore. Writing on this genealogy, Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, marvelous condescension that God should be a man and have a genealogy, even he who was in the beginning with God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Marvelous condescension. We, we get very excited when the king comes to visit. Uh, Charles's first visit to Northern Ireland as king earlier this year received a, a lot of attention. We, we, we think that it's great when a, when a rich businessman volunteers to help with a charity. We think that it's brilliant when a footballer or a rugby player gives away their shirt to, to a child in need or when they spend some time visiting children who are sick. They're all good things, and, and we applaud the humility and the condescension. But what marvelous condescension it was when God became man. When you read 1-1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, along with 123, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, it should make you stop and think and pause and praise. Jesus came from the right line. His story is entwined in the story of God's people. But he wasn't the only Jew who could claim to come from the right line. And that's why we need to keep going and move on to our second point. Jesus came from the right line, but he also came at the right time. That, that, that's the point Matthew makes at the end of the genealogy. Look at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. But Matthew is making the point that there are three key periods in, in salvation history in God's big story. P period one is the first 14 generations from Abraham to David. Period two is the second 14 generations from Solomon to the Babylonian exile. And period three is the final 14 generations from the exile to Christ. There has been a lot of debate about why Matthew structures his genealogy in this way, but he's making a theological point. He intentionally, intentionally selects names, re real historical people who were really part of Joseph and Mary's line, and arranges them to make this point. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Th those words come from Paul in Galatians 4. The theological point Matthew is making is that God has designed history around the birth of Jesus. On paper, we agree, Christmas is the center of history, but so often this head knowledge, it doesn't make it down to our hearts. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't come to earth as a man in the modern age rather than in the first century? Why didn't he come to earth during the era of television? Why didn't he come to earth during the era of Instagram and TikTok? Why, why, why didn't he come when all that he said and did could be carefully documented 
and record it. It's very easy to picture Jesus and his 12 disciples surrounded by, by cameras and smartphones. It's very easy to imagine someone streaming a video of his every movement. It's very easy to think of the 10 o'clock news starting every night with something about the life of Christ. Today, Jesus healed 10 lepers. We interviewed nine of them. One refused an interview in order to go back and say thank you to Jesus. And it's very easy to think of someone who doubts the claims of Christ and us simply saying to them, just wait a second, let me show you this. It's all on video, it's all on Facebook, here it is on YouTube. Sometimes we think we know better than God and sometimes we think that his timing should have been different. But when the Bible says Jesus came at the fullness of time, it means it. God wrote history He determined when an empire would rise and when an empire would fall. He determined when I would be born and when you would be born. And he determined when his son would come to earth. The the text message celebrated its 30th birthday recently. Uh, The first text message was sent to a mobile phone by a Vodafone engineer in England on the 3rd of December 1992. It was sent in order to test out the tech and it simply read, Merry Christmas. The phone that was used to send the message message was an Orbital 901, and it weighed 2.1 kilograms, which is roughly the same as about 12 standard iPhones. Text messages changed the world, but they have been replaced by internet-based messaging platforms like WhatsApp and iMessage. According According to statistics, there were 40 billion SMS messages sent in 2021 in the UK. Ten years ago, though, in 2012, there were 150 billion messages sent. In comparison, there are 100 billion WhatsApp messages sent worldwide every day. We, we know what it's like to hit send. We hit the send button every day. And just over 2,000 years ago, at just the right time, God hit the send button. Jesus came at the right time. We, we might question it. We might wonder about how we would do it differently. But God's timing is perfect and his ways are right. And Jesus has come from the right line and he has come at the right time. There's something else for us to consider though, a third and crucial point. But points one and two are important and interesting. But without point three, they aren't anything more than information. Jesus came from the right line. Jesus came at the right time. And thirdly, Jesus came for the right design. When it comes to genealogies in the Bible, we often look at them as as dry and dusty parts. They're just lists of names of people that we know virtually nothing about and have never met. But even in a list of names, you can say something. What, what, What is Matthew saying? Well, we need to remember the culture Matthew was living and writing in. We live in an individualistic culture in which you recommend yourself to others with a list of your degrees, work experience, and accomplishments. That's not how it was done in a more family-oriented society. Matthew 1 might look like a genealogy, and it is, but it's also a CV. In Matthew's day, it was your family pedigree, your clan, the people you were connected to that made your CV. A genealogy was a way of saying to the world, this is who I am. It's interesting to know that in those days, people changed their CVs just as they do today. If you apply for a job, you'll probably leave out the, the, the parts of your track record that make you look bad. And people did that in ancient times as well. 
Matthew does the opposite, though. This genealogy is, is, is shockingly like, uh, unlike other ancient genealogies. To begin with, there are five women listed in it. That, that, that isn't surprising to us in 2022, but it was virtually unknown in Matthew's day. W- women were outsiders in Jesus' day. Oh, on a basic level, what, what makes the inclusion of the five women shocking is that three of them were Gentiles, Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. They were foreigners to to the Jews. They were unclean. But on a deeper level, and in an even more shocking way, all the women mentioned were connected to immorality. The the, the inclusion of these five women recalls some of the sordid, nasty, and immoral incidents in the Bible. For example, Matthew says that Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. You can see that in verse 3. Do you remember the story of Tamar? Tamar tricked her father-in-law, Judah, into sleeping with her. Judah was unjust to her, but it was an act of incest. Yet it was out of that dysfunctional family that the Messiah came. We could run through all the women mentioned, and what we find over and over again are dysfunctional situations. Rahab was a prostitute. David committed uh, adultery with the the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. There, There are cultural and moral outsiders, adulterers, incestuous relationships, prostitutes, listed in the genealogy of the Messiah. We haven't even touched on some of the wicked men either. Wicked kings like Rehoboam, Abijah, Ahaz, the Ahaz who who pumped the raw sewage of Baal Baal worship into Israel. What does all that mean? What, what, What is Matthew saying? What does that tell us? Well, very powerfully, it tells us that people who are excluded by culture and questionable morals can be brought into Jesus' family. That was the design of Jesus' coming. It doesn't matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you repent and believe in Jesus, his grace can cover your sin and you can be welcomed into his family. Jesus didn't belong to the nice, clean world of middle-class respectability. He didn't belong in the world of of good living church people. He belonged to a family of murderers, cheats, cowards, adulterers, and liars. And the design of that is that Jesus came not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. He came for sinners like Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, David, Matthew. He came for sinners like you and me. Jesus came from the right line. He came at the right time and he came for the right design. The design was to save us. Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus starts in a way that we don't expect. It it doesn't start with with the well-known events of the nativity itself, the star, the shepherds, the angel. It begins with with a tedious genealogy. It would be easy for us to lose patience and and to skim through the names until we get to the real action. You know, we see the sheep, we see the shepherds and so on. But without this genealogy, we we can't get to the full story. We can't understand it. Through this genealogy, Matthew tells us who is in this story so that we might know that it's possible for us to take our place in it as well. Christmas is a special time of year. It's a time that we look forward to with anticipation. It's a busy time, lots of nights out, lots of presents to wrap, lots of people to see, yet we can so easily miss the point of it all, that Jesus came from the right line, that Jesus came at the right time, 
and that Jesus came for the right design. There was a big story in the news at the end of November, which was that the, which was that the 2021 census revealed that fewer than half of people in England and Wales described themselves as Christians. The proportion of people who said they were Christian was 46.2%, down from 59.3% in the last census in 2011. Following the story, a national newspaper published some letters from readers who responded to the story. Let, Let me read you one letter, one response. Someone writing to a newspaper said this. Most children today think that Christmas is about Santa Claus and receiving presents. Easter now means chocolate eggs. Schools no longer have assemblies where prayers are heard and said. Children no longer know the Lord's Prayer. And Sunday is no longer special. It is also very sad. Welcome to modern Britain. Welcome to a country that doesn't know the reason for the big seasonal celebrations. Welcome to a country that has forgotten its Christian heritage. The question for us as followers of Jesus is, are we living distinctively? Or are we living like the culture around us? What does Christmas mean for us if we know and love Jesus? In what place does the message of Christmas come in terms of ranking and priority for us? 14th place behind everything else? third place behind presence and family. Jesus came from the right line. He came at the right time and he came for the right design. His his marvelous condescension should fill our hearts with wonder and thanks because he has come for us. He, He has come despite our background, despite our feelings, despite our very questionable spiritual CVs. Well, what if you're here this morning and you don't know him? You don't know Jesus. You haven't trusted him. Well, the, the, the challenge for you in this season of Advent is to follow the words of the carol that the praise group led us with earlier. It's to follow the words of the carol that we're going to sing as we close our service. Christmas calls you to come adore the King who came to our world to save us. It calls you to fall before the one who in mercy left his throne. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. This seemingly dry and dusty genealogy tells us that Jesus didn't belong to the nice, clean world of of middle-class respectability. He belonged to a family of murderers, cheats, cards, adulterers, and liars. And the design of that is that Jesus came not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. He didn't come for people who said that they're good. He came for people who know that they're bad. He came for sinners like Tamar, Rahab, David, Matthew. He came for sinners like you and me. Through this genealogy, Matthew tells us, who is in the story so that we might know that it's possible for us to take our place in the story as well. The question for you this morning is, if you're not a Christian, Will you take your place in the ultimate story, God's story? The story of how the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came from the right line, came at the right time, and came for the right design, also that you might know him. The simple message of Christmas is that if you repent and believe in Jesus, his grace can cover your sin 
and you can be welcomed into his family. So will you turn to him this Christmas? Will you refocus your gaze on him if you've trusted in him? Will you trust him for the first time if you haven't already? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your living word and we thank you for what we have seen in this seemingly dry and dusty genealogy. We thank you that Jesus came from the right line, came at the right time and came for the right design. We, we, we stand in awe and wonder at the marvelous condescension of how Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, came into our world as a little baby, also that he might save us. Father, we pray that you would help us to focus on him this Christmas time, that you would help us to bow our hearts in praise and wonder. And we pray that you would speak to those who haven't yet trusted in him. We pray that this Christmas, they might come adore the humble king for the first time. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.